Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Now, it's not that people can't, it's that they choose not to. And he's saying that straight up. I won't believe unless. So let me ask you, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, if you've yet to confess your need for his forgiveness, what is following those words? I won't believe unless what? In today's broadcast, we begin a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, The Resurrection Through Their Eyes, John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20 in its entirety, and it's all in the title, folks. We're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the eyes of the Apostle John. So let's dig in. We could call John 20 the rest of the gospel. Because if Jesus were anyone else, his death and burial would have been the end of his story. But the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. First acknowledging the reality, the certainty of his death. He died. But he didn't just die, he died for our sins. That points us, of course, to the purpose, the necessity of his death. And then the third, it reminds us that it was all foretold. According to the scriptures, Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul calls it the gospel. The word gospel means good news because Jesus' story didn't end in his death or his burial. No, Jesus rose again the third day, and this chapter celebrates that reality. Read with me, John 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid them, him. Three obstacles to overcome here. The seal, the guard, the stone. The seal was placed by the Romans who crucified him. And to break that seal was punishable by death. The guard was set in order to make sure no one came and did what they ultimately say did happen though we know they were paid to say so. They fabricated a lie or the religious leaders did, and they played along. You see, losing a prisoner, if you were a Roman soldier, that too was a capital crime. And so punishable, of course, by death. So they go to the chief priest who paid them to lie, and the lie has been, well, floating about around the world ever since. Paid him to say, while they were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body. 
There are so many reasons. That's ridiculous, absurd. If they were sleeping, how would they know? And how would the disciples ever come and, and sneak past the guard and break the seal and roll away the stone and steal the body and hide it somewhere and then go around preaching that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again? There's life and forgiveness, eternal life, everlasting life in him. It's completely absurd. They weren't concerned, though, about the seal nor the guard. We're not told why. They were concerned about the massive stone that would have been rolled into this uh, little channel that would protect the, the body inside. Or in many cases, this would have been a family tomb and multiple bodies ultimately would be buried there many times with uh, valuables and such. So in, in any case, they're concerned about how they're going to get in. But when they get there, it turns out it was no problem because they come and the stone was already rolled away. She ran. And you'll note, if you pay attention, nobody meanders around or just kicks back or kind of takes a, a stroll toward those people. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John in, well, perhaps a, a show of humility, not recognizing himself or boasting of his name. He just calls himself the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, everybody knew who that was, so maybe he didn't need to make sure we understood. Well, he, he um, is there with, with um, Peter, and, and she comes and says, they, whoever they were, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. We have the time, we have the place, and we have the people. First day of the week, one week earlier, Palm Sunday, people worshiped and celebrated, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then the arrest the brutality, the, the, the crucifixion, the burial. And now one week has passed, first day of the week. Why? Because the seventh was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. And now, well, first day of the week, we've been celebrating it as Jesus Church ever since. So we see the time and the place and the people, but I want to say the most important of those three is the people because Jesus came at the pre-appointed time and he died in the pre-appointed way. He was buried and, and rose again in the very place where they buried him. Well, we read then in, in verse three, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. He stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together, literally in its folds in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know, and the word means understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. Well, two words repeat again and again and again, or two thoughts. One is ran or outran or first. That's, that's John's priority here because we haven't even got to the reality of all that he has to say about Jesus. The other one is the word saw. But I just was thinking about this whole thing. And, and I want to say John's personal priority it reminds us to examine ours. What matters most to us is revealed by what we want to make sure others know about us. And listen, this isn't a time for such foolishness. People are hurting all around us. You may be among them. Loss is incredible, tragic loss surrounds us. The news every day is bad. That's why the good news is that much more important. I'm wondering if John, looking back, feels a little foolish for reminding us again and again that he was able to outrun Peter. Now, they're competitive guys. We get that. But he hasn't even got to the heart of the story, the reason he was chosen to be a disciple, to walk with Jesus, to, to, to learn from and be used by him. And he wants to make sure we know that as they ran, he outran the other. Stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there and did not go in. Then Simon Peter following him, and there it is went into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there, the handkerchief around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, folded together in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who he has to tell us one more time, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Listen, the word saw is the most important word here. The first means to glance in. Three different Greek words each with nuances that are so important to the story. The first means that, that John, having arrived first, he glanced in, he took a look, he, he checked it out, but it, it was more of just a simple um, taking notice of, well, the fact that Jesus didn't appear to be there. The second Word means to gaze or ponder or observe or study. And I find it interesting that Peter, he runs right past John, right into the tomb. John wasn't going in because he didn't want to be defiled. But Peter could care less. He's still himself, you see, and will always be impulsive, impetuous, not worried about what others think. Well, no, he runs in and he takes a look and he's pondering, he's studying, he's, he's trying to process, what does it mean? The third word for saw is there in verse eight, he saw, speaking of John, and believed. After he entered in thinking, Peter's there, I might as well go. For as yet they didn't understand what Jesus had been telling them again and again, we're going up, I'll be handed over, I'll be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day. That third word means behold with 
understanding. So John is putting it together finally. Well, Mary, verse 11, stood outside the tomb weeping and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken my Lord, taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Second person to ask that question. First, the angel, now the Lord. Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and listen, there's something about what he said and who he said it to, but I would say mostly how he said it that caused her to recognize him. Mary, she turned and said, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said, do not cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to him, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, the other disciples let us know, the other gospel accounts let us know, that the most common response to somebody proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead was unbelief. And we'll see it in almost every situation, at least in these first uh, few guys and those first disciples and such. Well, Mary recognizes him when he speaks her name. Earlier, Jesus taught, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They won't follow the voice of strangers for they don't know that voice. Jesus calls his sheep by name and they follow him. They know his voice and they follow him. Jacob reminded us that as he was teaching uh, Luke's gospel, that the disciples on the Emmaus Road didn't recognize Jesus until he blessed and broke bread with them. Perhaps they saw the wounds in his hands. Perhaps there was just something otherwise oh so familiar. But they recognized him at that moment and understood at that moment. We'll see that Thomas won't recognize him until he sees the wounds in his hands. And so here's where I'm going with this. They were all well, approached by and, and had contact with the Lord. They didn't recognize the Lord. He was pursuing them. They were brokenhearted, not expecting him, but he showed up. And here's the good news. He revealed himself to them in very different ways, but all of them recognized him at some point in that interaction. And I want to say that, that your story might be very different than mine, or very different from Jacob's or Daniel's or Jonathan's or Bud's or, or Pastor Dick's or any of the others. Our stories are unique to us. 
But they all start when Jesus reveals himself to us and we recognize him as they in fact did. Well, listen, 1 Corinthians 15.5 says this. He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Pastor Bud did a beautiful job this morning at the sunrise service on focusing on this very reality because, because well, the writer, Paul, formerly known as Saul, he never saw Jesus that we know of or followed him. We know he didn't follow him. He was a persecutor and a hater, one who wanted to stamp out what he considered to be the cult of Christianity. But he met Jesus face to face. And this is not, not just after the resurrection as these guys are seeing him. This is after his ascension. Jesus comes back to meet with Paul, one born out of due time. It's important to us and important, of course, to Paul. Well, verse 19 here in our passage says, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, reminding us again, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, peace be with you. Again and again, he'll begin his greeting, his time with them, with those words, peace be to you. He testifies, you see, of those who condemned Jesus being startled by him appearing to them. He says peace, but it's not shalom. It's not the common word for peace. It's a word he used earlier. Let me read you a couple examples. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Here he says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is that word for recognizing him, for putting it together. They saw him, they recognized him, they knew that it was him and what did they do? They rejoiced. Jesus said to them again, verse 21, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Earlier he said, the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. This is that moment where their relationship with the Holy Spirit moves from him working on them from the outside to, to them 
Well, having him on the inside, transforming them as he is us from the inside out. This is the problem with religion without a relationship to Jesus. The transformation's always uh, the outside in. Stop doing this. Stop thinking that. Stop saying this. Stop watching that. Stop going there. And listen, you can do all those things and still die in your sins. God transforms us from the inside out. He changes our heart. He changes our mind. And then he begins to transform our actions and our attitudes, the things that other people take note of. He changes us inside. Then he transforms us in action and word and deed. Well, in any case, he tells them that they'd be able to forgive sin. It's a little confusing. It's like, really, these are the guys now that are going to forgive sin? Not exactly. Earlier, he said to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And what he's doing here is, is he's saying, you can tell others on my behalf as my ambassadors, as my representatives, that if they repent, their sins are forgiven. If they refuse, their sins are retained. That's why John will later write, he who has the son has life. He who is not the son of God does not have life. You have to ask him to forgive you. You have to confess you're guilty and he's holy. And you need to confess that you're in need of his forgiveness for his forgiveness is your only possible pathway to heaven. Well, in any case, Thomas called the twin, verse 24. So we learned something else about Thomas. He was one of the 12 and not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You have to appreciate this. There is a great difference between a cynic and an honest skeptic. Someone who says, I just don't believe it and I won't believe it. Thomas is absolutely honest. He's not saying as some would say, well, I can't believe in a God and then you can fill in the blank thereafter. Now, it's not that people can't, it's that they choose not to. And he's saying that straight up. I won't believe unless. So let me ask you, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, if you've yet to confess your need for his forgiveness, what is following those words? I won't believe unless what? You fill in that blank and then you look at it and realize that thing is keeping me from God's gift of everlasting life. That thing, I'm holding on to it like it was the most important thing in the world. Listen, it's a matter of life and death and that thing that you're holding on to is keeping you from life eternal. So put it together today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul records a very important truth. There he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. It's true. No resurrection, our faith has nothing to stand on and would be, as Paul says, empty. Now, when you think about it, over the last 2,000 years, there have been a lot of people who would love to destroy the faith of all Christians, and many have dedicated their lives in trying to do that. The enemy of our souls could never pass up such an opportunity if it existed. And it is as simple as this. Just prove that Jesus did not come back from the dead and everything comes toppling down. Well, the problem is, at least for the enemy and all who would serve him, is that Jesus did come back from the dead. And this is a truth that is and has been protected by our God. It is a truth that we can place our faith in and a truth that you and I can rest in. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.